fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennon. Great to be here, Dan. I'm very excited for this episode. There's going to be some very interesting math that I know you're going to find exciting and fun. Well, you know I love math. Uh, I find it both exciting and fun. But there's a man who likes math even more than I do, Denon, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, how much do you love math, and does it affect where you're broadcasting from this week? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it does. I'm, you know, I'm in this strange uh, kind of subdivision. It seems to go on forever, um, but... I think I can find my way out. I, I'm sure I can. I'm sure it'll be just fine. I'm sure you're going to need to use math to get yourself out of there. Um, but I, I'm guessing that you are stuck in Yonder, which is the subdivision of the movie Vivarium. And I've got to tell you guys, I loved this movie. And and I, I'm going to give you the definition of Vivarium if you're not familiar. But it, it is a place such as a laboratory where live animals or plants are kept under conditions simulating their natural environment, typically for research. Uh, that doesn't explain this movie. I don't know what does. But again, I love this movie. Denon, I'm curious what you thought of it. You know... Dan, I enjoyed this movie way more than I expected. Um, I describe it in an interesting fashion. It was great for a movie in which nothing happened. Now, that being said, clearly a lot happened, but it was all very much character-ish and not, or in the characters. I don't know what the right way to say that is. And it wasn't your typical action movie, which I seem to be watching a lot of lately. So I, I, I loved it for what it was and for the acting, and it really drew me in. Well, I would. I think characterish. I think that's exactly the right the way to describe it. And there are only there's really only three characters in the movie, so I know what you mean. There's not a lot of big stuff, not a lot of explosions. Although there is a gigantic fire. Um, with spoiler alert there. Uh, but Ben, what did you think about this movie? You know, I thought it was really interesting to see, uh, see the some very cruel aspects of nature applied to on a human scale. I thought that was a very fun plot. I, I agree with you completely. That is what I loved about this movie. So very quickly, this is a movie about a young couple who goes to visit a subdivision. They're looking to buy a home and they end up getting stuck in the subdivision and can't get out and are forced to raise what we find out to be a strange species of human, a different species of human that they must raise as their own. Uh, it's, it's a really cool movie. And I'm going to put up, I don't typically do this, but it's very important when we we're talking about pop culture things because the what the director was doing, the, the, the ideas behind this movie, I think are great. I'm going to put a link on the website so you can know what the director was thinking. But I will tell you, he was inspired by the symbiotic slash parasitic relationship between the European cuckoo and the reed warbler, which what they do is the cuckoo will, will lay its eggs in the unsuspecting reed warbler's nest, and then the reed warbler will then raise that chick as its own, despite the fact that it is you know three or four times as as big as the reed warbler. The cuckoo is a gigantic bird, uh, and this is called brood parasitism. And they really in this movie take that concept and turn it into an entire movie. I loved it. You know, 
Dan, something about this that really struck me, and, and I may be getting my head of myself here, is the slight changes and the twists on that. So it's something I think our, our, our viewers should really watch for and, and think about because it, it explains some fascinating things in human history, I think, that I want to come back to later. No, I think that that's really interesting. You know, a couple of cool things here is this is typically used in nature. This is um, where so that birds do not have to invest the resources into raising their own young so they can use those resources to basically have more offspring, which I think is kind of interesting. I'm going to put two two really cool links on the website. The first are about the defenses that a reed warbler can use against a cuckoo and the fact that in America it's the cuckoo and the magpie. Magpies actually can recognize the cuckoo and there's a lower chance of them fostering the cuckoos. Uh, very interesting stuff. I, I love this. I think this is really cool. But I want to talk about this species. So in this movie, we're talking about really a new species of human that has kind of lived in co coexistence with humans. And in some ways, these guys are, are predators. They, they're kind of luring in this couple to raise their child. Um, I thought this was really interesting. Ben, ben, what did you think about this part? You know, it was really, it's really interesting to think about uh, brood parasitism applied on a human scale. We feel like we're kind of smarter than that, and we know to not get trapped by um, other other species. Like we think we're the top of the food chain. So I really like this idea that there's something even higher up on the food chain that's kind of living among us and and tricking us into doing what it wants. Well, I mean, you know, I did a whole episode on on the survival of the friendliest about dog domestication. And while dogs don't have litters inside of a human house and force us to raise them, we do raise dogs as if they're our children sometimes. Um, I've often called dogs the most adorable parasite. You know this, Denon. I've said it many times. Um, I happen to love dogs. But in a lot of ways, uh, in this book, they talk about how when the when a mother and her and her child look at each other when they lock eyes that triggers an oxytocin cycle uh, it's oxytocin release in the mother which creates attachment to the baby and it releases oxytocin in the baby to create attachment and love for the mother this is called the oxytocin cycle in this book they talk about how dogs can hijack that so when you look at your dog's adorable little eyes you know you you, you love them i know it's happened to me my dog's hijacked my oxytocin cycle and i think that that happens in this movie much to your point ben i think that this happens and i think the 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 main female character in this um her she's kind of her maternal instincts are hijacked because even though this this child is out of control and crazy she kind of in some weird way wants to look out for him yeah that, that was an interesting feature in it dan and it was it was clearly though a weaker oxytocin effect because it, it took a while to come in it was there for a bit it went away and she did repeatedly say i am not your mother mm. So it was it was there, but it was really an interesting twist on it, I thought. This movie twisted a lot of things, pun intended. We'll get back to that. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I'm not your... She dropped a couple F-bombs in there, too. I mean, yeah. she was pretty adamant yeah. she wasn't the mother, so that's, that's for sure. Uh, but it was a really interesting parasite cycle because we, we see them get trapped, they have to raise this kid, and then we see the kid become an adult and then replace the person who entrapped the parents originally. So the, it kind of comes full circle. I mean, this is a true parasitic cycle that I thought was really cool, um, which involves, you know, one of the key 
advantages that this species has is mimicry. We see several of these species mimic the humans, uh, the voice of the humans. They kind of look like humans. You know, the child dances with them, you know, trying to be as human as possible. I thought this was kind of, in some ways, the most insidious part of how this species worked. Yeah. And when you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense that this thing that's trying to, that uses humans to raise its own young, um, it, it's, its basic nature would be that mimicry because it would have co-evolved with us um, in, order to, in order to trick us and to uh, mimic us. That's just how it is. Like the, these behaviors don't come from whole cloth. They, they grow together as we grow. No, it makes sense because the cuckoo, their eggs look just like the reed warblers. All the things that they're, they're being a parasite upon, their eggs look very similar. Otherwise, they would get rejected. So, Dan, the one thing that bothered me in this parasitic movie is the fact you pointed out that the parasite wins by not having to do resource hunting. Mm -hmm. And in this world where they trap us, they were still having to provide the resources. It was an implicit, you know, explicit part of this world. So I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the co-evolution and I had a brainstorm. This movie explains a great mystery of human history and that is changelings. Hmm. So when this species first existed, it was a traditional parasitic relation where they put the babies in our house, the changelings, and we were tricked into raising them. But with the modern technology and switching to a world where you have what much better sort of um, oversight and you can see what's going on and surveillance. They had to change their behavior and they had to evolve with technology and create this technological trap that brought us in. So that, I'm, I'm claiming here an explanation of an ancient mystery. Wow. I mean, that, this, this, episode, this episode should be called The Changing of the Changeling. Uh, I think that that's brilliant, Denon, and I think that that actually does explain quite a bit. Again, this is the second episode in a row where you've shifted the paradigm uh, of, of some folkloric or, or mythological creature. So that, that's incredible. Well, thank you. And I think that is why Ancient Aliens hires me, Dan. I, I think it's true, for sure. Um, and and I, I think what's kind of interesting about this is, you know, we've talked about rap growth. I just want to quickly mention that the, this this particular child is very Jem Hadar-ish. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out our Deep Space Nine episode. But they grow very quickly. I mean, in three months, it grows to basically the size of a nine-year-old. And what I love is in this movie that the child still doesn't really sound quite human. They do something with the voice, which I really like, and it really kind of creeps me out. But let's talk, so let's talk about Yonder, this place that, you know, the, it, the, there's a billboard as they go in. It says quality family homes, period, forever, period. And, and I'm guessing once you cross past that billboard, you are now entering into uh, what I am going to call, you guys can dispute this, but it is some sort of pocket dimension, some kind of, of quantum section. Uh, the director said that th these kind of, in his mind, in the world, these weird pocket dimensions kind of sprout up like fungus across our reality where these particular creatures live uh, and do their do their dirty work. Um, but what did you guys think of this? Because it, it's not a place anyone can get out of. Once they're in, they can't find a way out. It seems to repeat itself. Uh, this place is pretty scary. Then I'm going to ask you first, what, what do you think this is? Well, I think there's a lot here. And I like the idea of pocket dimension and quantum bubble to explain the large-scale structure, like where it lives relative to our world. But I'm much more fascinated by the internal structure. And I think there is a lot of interesting topology here. And for hmm. our math experts out there, 
topology simply has to do with the overall shape of the space you're in. So for instance, the simplest example is the difference between a donut and a sphere. The donut has a hole and the sphere doesn't. And I think there's something there, particularly when you get to then the fractal images on the TV, I think exploring the topology is going to be very fruitful for understanding this world. I mean, that, I think that that's really interesting because what I what I took away from the world is that it seems there's something very unnatural about it. It looks like something an alien species would think a human would believe to be perfect. I mean, the houses seem to be very organized. There's a sun. All the clouds are shaped like clouds. All the food looks delicious, but it's tasteless. You know, there, there's it's not a natural environment, which that's what I took away from it. Uh, ben, what did you take away from Yonder? Yeah, so I think the topology thing is is what really interests me. It's the are is there some weird math going on, or is there some very strange technology going on that's keeping them where they are? And I'm I kind of tend towards the weird technology aspect of how is it that they think they're walking in a straight line, but in reality they're curving back on themselves, right? Because no matter where they go, they always end up back inside of their house. So there's a couple questions: is is there really actually more than one house, or Whenever they stop, are they actually still in front of their house is one thing I'm curious about. And so I think with Denon talking about topology, it makes a lot of sense that they're perhaps in a torus or a, a sphere, the inside of a sphere where there's either projections going on or some, some other technical aspect that makes it look like they're moving. But in reality, they're kind of just on a treadmill and staying still. So in some ways, they're the hamsters in a hamster wheel. Yes. Okay. A very fancy multi-dimensional hamster wheel. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I like that because when, you know, this is kind of goes with, with what Dennett said about the twisting of all this stuff is, you know, in, in the real brood parasitism, the cuckoo will put its egg in, a, in another bird's nest. But in this, you know, the species almost becomes like a predator and lures the couple into their nest. And now the couple is living in their nest and raising the young in their nest and in their environment, which we learn is very important because navigating that strange ter terrain needs to be something that they learn how to do either through the TV or through a weird book. So there's definitely something going on here. And as I alluded to before the explosion, you know, there's a house that gets burned and recreated, which adds another level of mystery here, I think. I think the house coming back to me is kind of that technology evidence, even though I'm big on the topology in this case um, for the evidence of them walking around coming back. Uh, I was very, very fascinated by this idea of either a rapid healing house, and we've talked rapid healing, but usually just in the area of uh, superheroes and, and biological creatures, not physical structures, or I like Ben's image of a treadmill. Uh, maybe there's another pop-up house that comes in. So... I actually have some thoughts on that, and I'm going to come back to that because I know we're going to get to the sidewalk, and I think that may explain where the house comes from. Okay. No, that's good. And and I think that, that, that this world is very unique, and what's so strange about it, and I know this bothered you, Ben, is that we only see one house. They don't. The only time they ever really interact with other houses is when they're walking through other backyards. But I would really be curious to know what was in these other houses. Were they all the same um, you know, did they have other numbers on them? Uh, maybe that would give some explanation onto what's going on here. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. I would have loved to have seen them try to go into the next door house while one of them was still at their front door. Like, could they even do that? Could they go into two different yards? Like, do both of those yards actually exist? 
Or are you just going from your yard to, to your Back yard to again? your yard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is really strange. Um, I, I mean, it's super crazy. And, and one of the other things that I really enjoyed about this movie is I liked the boxes of stuff that they got because it, they, it looked, they were being fed. It looked like fish food, right? I mean, it was like it was shrink-wrapped pork chops. <laughs> you know, that didn't taste, no one wanted the food. It didn't taste like anything. I thought that that was very weird, um, but it was just such a, an element of of w- making the food look like something a human would like, but, you know, very similar to, to the child, all the things around it. Everything was just off. The level of humanity was removed and it, everything looked constructed, including the whole outside. You know, Ben, I know you were talking about that. Everything feels constructed. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so it all it all just seems very fake. And I wonder even like the hole he digs. The walls of the hole don't even look like they're real dirt holes of a dug hole. So like I wonder, is the hole also just there? And that's like the place you dig and there's some sort of psychological torture that goes on that makes you want to dig that hole. And so everybody digs their own grave in that spot who gets trapped there. It's very interesting because the soil is very, very odd. It's like yellow clay in, in like sand or something. Yeah. Well, I also think that the um, it's very suspicious that when he throws his cigarette, it burns grass in a perfect circle. I think that's perfect evidence for what Ben was saying. They want you to dig there. They, they want you to dig their grave because they're lazy and they want you to do as much as possible for them. That's why they brought you hear right it's 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 clearly that though it was interesting that when it was all done he does the the alien creature does fill the hole back in so but obviously there's no one else around to do that so he had to right well and it is kind of interesting because we talk about it being unnatural and you see this a lot of times in animals that are in captivity right they exhibit these stress um these stressed traits you know they start doing weird things pulling out their hair or trying to keep themselves busy and in this case you know tom becomes obsessed with digging this weird hole you know um and and i think the unnatural nature of him living in there breathing in that air them eating that weird food is kind of what what kills them you know i mean it's 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 an unnatural place for them and there's the, the their longevity is not required. All they need to do is be alive long enough to raise this other child, which I thought was was just a, a crazy way to to put a, a little button on that. But you, Denon, you mentioned under the curb. Yes. Now this is this is a very strange aspect of the movie. Um, something I think that probably should have been revealed earlier because I probably would have uh, taken a taken a swing at one of these guys a little bit earlier in the movie. But I do love that they go under, and that's kind of reveals how they traverse this strange this strange world and create. You know, they, they kind of reveal this underground tunnel system in a way. So you know what this did for me, Dan? I immediately thought of a Mobius strip. So for our our viewers and listeners who don't know what it is, you may want to find a link for them. You take a strip of paper, you twist it once, you glue the ends back together, and you get a fascinating object that actually started as two-sided but now only has one side. As you trace your finger around it, you, you end up back where you started and you get to both sides of it throughout the process. And it made me think of a world that was double-sided but single-sided. So as you Hmm. lift the curb, you're going to the other side of the Mobius strip, which is actually connected to the side that you were already on. And that's why it made me think topology and interesting geometries. It's probably more complex than a simple Mobius strip, but I think that's the, like, starting point of a mental image I had for it of this sort of very thin but connected world from both sides. And that's why you go under the curb but end up, like, in another house that looks the same. 
I, I actually love that idea. Let me ask you this, Denon. Is it possible, could, could you imagine a world where each side of the Mobius Strip has different physical properties? Well, well, that could happen, certainly, in their construction. But also, you know, the physical properties were, were different a little bit. I think you're alluding to the light and some of the other experiences. But still similar enough that it was humans in all of them mm-hmm. raising these strange aliens. So there was some similarities. It's also where I think the unburnt house popped up from. They just took one from the other side of the Mobius Strip, popped it through the curb. There you go. New house. Like shark's teeth, kind of. Like shark's teeth. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I like that because in the, the the director kind of, you see these three other worlds, they're different colors, which would indicate different frequencies, an idea that maybe all of these, there's different realities on top of each other, different frequencies. He kind of went with, with string theory on that. I kind of, I really, I, I think you actually have a much better explanation. Uh, ben, what did you think about this this whole scene? I mean, it's certainly weird how, like, she gets sucked through the walls and all this other stuff. And I, and I wonder about the... It's hard to have a technical explanation uh, for that, that where we understand it, where, oh, it's just there's a bunch of bubbles that are kind of stuck to each other. Like, obviously, that doesn't really work if you can kind of get sucked between them. There, we're not talking about real normal matter as we know it anymore. So I like this idea of, you know, these you know, quantum bubbles, these weird topology bubbles that allow you to transfer between them because, and what's interesting to me is why you can't stay, why you can only stay in your own one. And I think, I think the frequency thing that is mentioned there is really interesting where maybe as you go in, you get kind of tuned to the frequency of the, the nest you're being sent to. And therefore, if you get pushed into one of these other nests your frequency is off and you kind of get either pushed out or you know you're not resonating properly and it you you can't stay there so it somehow can get rid of you no i think that that's a great explanation and this is why i asked denon about the physical properties because i believe Gemma, she, her, she's not biologically um attuned she's not biologic she's not the biological adaptations to exist in that world much like i don't have the biological adaptations to climb through a tree like a squirrel and in so you know in some ways she kind of gets pushed out like a splinter uh, I, I really like that and she, she can't really exist in any of these worlds i think that that's a pretty good explanation i, I mean what do you think about that denon No, I do. And what I like is you combine the two. The relation of the worlds to each other is the topology. That's how they're a Mobius strip. That's why you go through the floor to get to the other side of the other one. And then in those different areas of the Mobius strip are perhaps different, you know, the the core strings that make up the matter are vibrating at slightly different frequencies. And that's what causes you to go back and forth between them and get pushed out and not allowed in another one. That would also explain, for instance the boundary of the actual bubble you're in is tuned so that when you hit the wall, you just reflect, you don't go through. Mm. Whereas the creatures can actually control who they are and they can go through and in and out. So they kind of tune you on the way in. It's sort of like a half-silvered mirror in a laser. You, you can get in, but you never get out. I mean, that's that explains it perfectly, Dead, and I think you can, get in, you can get in, but you can't get out. So that asks, I got a last question for you guys. Let's say you are a hapless victim of one of these creatures and you find yourself in yonder. How would you get out given the tools that they have there? Uh, Denon, I'm going to ask you first. So for me, it all comes down to topology and geometry. You have to find the real edge of the world. 
And we know lots of geometries depend on what parallel lines do. So since there's two of us and a pickaxe and a shovel, we walk around the streets dragging parallel lines and seeing how they behave. That will let me know what topology and geometry I'm in. And from there, I can find the edge and get out. I love it. That's 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 great. I, I'm going to bounce off of that in a second, but I'm going to ask Ben first, how would you get out of this place? Yeah, I think something along the lines of what Denon said, where you use... Uh, the you know, use these marks to figure out the topology. But I think also what Denon said is very important is that making marks is very important. Like just figuring out if you're actually going somewhere uh, is is very critical to the process here. Like when you get to an intersection, marking which way you went so that you know if you're actually turning a different way each time to me seems like a very important aspect you know, Dennis, I, I, what I, I loved what you did there because it's kind of an upgrade on what I was thinking because my mind immediately went to the deadliest created labyrinth from Greek mythology where the Minotaur was housed. I did a whole episode on a, on a town called Stell, which is so far in the cornfield that it is a rite of passage to be able to discover it and find it in a car. Uh, I currently live in a place that is a maze, so you would think I would have some ability to get out. My mind kind of went to that. I thought about taking, this is how low-tech I went, taking a sheet and creating a string and then running around with a string. But I think using a pickaxe on the ground to do that is a little bit more difficult, but I think more effective. That is the only way I could think about getting out. But I'm guessing, like we mentioned before, we're kind of running around in, in the inside of a sphere, or a hamster wheel. But, but I think that's the only way to do it. No, I think I think you're right. And then realizing, I like Ben's idea. If you do, if it is technology and it's not that big and there's only like one house, that is a breakthrough moment when you realize that you're actually not going anywhere. Um, though that gets really tricky because they do climb up on the roof and see very far um, and other things like that. So well, it's a breakthrough moment because that is the breaking of your spirit, I think, is, is the breakthrough yeah. moment. Um, but we've arrived to the end of the episode where we do our errors, additions, and omissions, things we want to talk about, but we're not going to, but sometimes we do. Denon, what did you have for Vivarium? So a, a kind of couple of interesting things. First of all, I find it fascinating that in the living room was a painting of the house and in the bedroom was a painting of the bed or bedroom, <laughs> you know. So that's kind of yeah. self-referential. A lot of fun there. Um, clear horror movie violation. Martin, when you first meet him, is clearly a total creep. Something is wrong with him. Do not follow that man. And as soon as you see that sign in every house exactly the same, you turn around and then my final one is just sort of a question. Like when she put the F-bomb on the roof mm -hmm. out of sheer frustration, why did she not have enough material to put a C in there? Like what was going on? <laughs> I, I just I, – I, it mystified me, Dan. And, of course, I, I do have to mention the whole thing probably was just a giant quantum foam. Um, but not worth discussing because that would just confuse the audience. No, I think you're right. I mean, they had H E L P. That seems like enough socks and and embedding to, to to make F U C K. Uh, I agree with you, uh, Ben. What did you have for this? Yeah. So one thing I I really liked is the biology of these creatures. That they're like half bird, half human. Like I loved seeing the the weird uh, vocalization sacks that it had on its neck to make those sounds. But what was also interesting is when he goes and puts uh, when you know new Martin goes and throws away old Martin, he's able to like squish him up really small. So I'm wondering like, is it like a bug or a bird? Where like are they all really hollow and very lightweight? And 
that's how he can roll him up into a tiny little package like that. Like that part seemed pretty interesting to me. <laughs> it's definitely odd. It adds to their mythos for sure. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought it was crazy. They had so many random tools. I mean, I know he was a gardener, but I don't know anyone after the gold rush of 1849 who owns a pickaxe. I've never heard of that before, but what do I know? There isn't a garage, so whatever. Um, the I, I, Martin's, you know, short sleeve and tie look, it's very Homer Simpson, you know, McDonald's manager-esque. It's like, my least favorite look, although I do think it is absolutely hilarious. Um, the fractal patterns on the, the TV, I thought that was really cool um, because the director used that, which I thought this was really interesting, is in housing developments, they use fractal patterns to maximize the amount of houses that can fit in there, which is kind of a cool reference to what they were doing there. It looks very much like a QRC code. Is that what they're called? QRC codes were the, the advanced barcode that they use now. Yep. They're really cool. Um, and, and I love the, the book with the little glyphs in there um, because it implies some sort of sexual reproduction for these particular species and, and the child does have a belly button. So you get some little bit of the mythos, some a little bit of what's going on with, with, with those particular creatures. Uh, but I love this movie. I thought it was great and I know we probably glossed over some things but if we missed anything major, you can get in touch with us at the show. It's at on Twitter at FGGGBTPod, on Facebook at FGGGBT but you can get in touch with the individual members of the Brain Trust. Then and how can people get in touch with you? You can reach me at Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name around. It's at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, I'm at Prof Denon Michael. Just stick in a prof. Easy enough to do, Denon. Uh, ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So this, again, was just a creepy movie. I don't know if we've told you how to create a crazy species that will be a parasite upon um, an unsuspecting couple. But if we've somehow contributed to that and you've you've created the species, be very careful with it. Uh, this knowledge is, is very, very dangerous. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, FGGBT.com. That's FGGBT.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening